Hello and welcome to Tutmana Podcast. What are we doing today? Well, it's only me and John in terms of regulars. I'm James. John, how are you? Not too bad. How are you? As I'm obliged oh, to ask. I'm, I'm really good. I've just been um, watching little snippets of the, well, the Premier League's back, isn't it? So I was watching little snippets of the Sheffield United and um, Villa game and Wilder's face as they scored a perfectly good goal. Um, went over the line and the the referee didn't, you know, his watch didn't buzz, so he didn't give it. And his face as he was watching it back as a picture. So I'd recommend anyone going and watching Wilder's post match reaction, which I'm sure will be a hoot. I watched the first. I watched the first ten fifteen minutes, and um, I think I was willing it to work in terms of a spectacle. And at, time, yeah. at times I was like, I'm not sure. And then I remember that it was Villa versus Sheffield, so they were probably going to grind each other down for eighty minutes anyway. So. I'm sure it will yeah. get better. It was very grindy indeed. But anyway, uh, we're, we're heading back to the wonderful world of Oxfordshire media icons for today's episode as we welcome a man who spent almost, a, and I had to kind of read this a couple of times, almost a quarter of a century at the Oxford Mail with a large proportion of that obviously being his sports editor. So welcome to Tipmana Podcast, Mark Edwards. How's it going? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, you both good? We are. You know, I'm great. I'm feeling all right. It's been a busy day at work, but you know, podcasts help to split up, split up the day. So good. I'm all good. Um, how, how's it going for you in terms of meandering through COVID yeah, lifestyles? No, no, not 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 too bad actually. It's been um, luckily actually. Uh, you said about that, I had a day off today, so I've been to the beach for the day, which was lovely. So uh, get out there. Nice. What beach? I uh, went down to Sandbanks. Walked past Harry Redknapp's ah. house. Ah. <laughs> he didn't wave back, but you know, it's. Uh... Um, but yeah, lovely, lovely day. And uh, yeah, sort of coping and it's good to have football back though, isn't it? Even if it is sort of not as we know it. Yeah, indeed. I, I was looking at, well, we I had to refer to the Tip Manor R&D department to double check the kind of quarter of a century thing. It's what is it? 21 years covering Oxford United and obviously many other things in in Oxfordshire at the Oxford Mail? Yeah, so um, I started at the very start of January 99 um, at, at the Mail and I, I left um, uh, in December last year. So it, it was basically 21 years um, on the staff as a full-time person there, sort of. And uh, wow. and, and I'm sure, you know, so those um, United fans will all be aware that uh, there's been quite a lot that's happened in that time as well. With uh... I was going to say, you've already teased out a few in setting up the pod, a few stories, whether it's around Decanio, Kassam, pre-season tales. So we're looking to get in all of that out of you as we go through this pod. Uh, I'm sure I can let you. Uh, sure, I can let you into a few of the few of the funny stories <laughs> I encountered during my time there. There's plenty of those. Don't worry. And Dave, Dave was being far too polite and uh, professional. So um, we're hoping you're going to um, loosen the ta- <laughs> loosen the taps ever so slightly. Well, Dave, Dave had to be a little bit careful because he's still actually employed by somebody <laughs> that may, may, you know, take umbrage to anything he says. But uh, but you know, it's not quite so important for me now so uh yeah i might be able to might be able to squeeze a little bit more out of him than you than you could out of the very professional mr pritchard yeah i mean you don't you don't want to get banned from the uh from the Kassam as a fan so um you no, there is that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your your twitter mark says um you're also a writer and designer and a sports fanatic can you expand a bit on on the first two well i mean yeah i mean so so um when I so I, I was actually made redundant by Oxford Mail in December, so it's sort of. Um, but I mean, 
not only do, did I write, but a, lo a lot of the work I did there specifically was sort of design, layout, sub-editing, that sort of service, the whole sort of package. Sure, but, yeah. And and I'm, I'm currently sort of working, um, I'm currently I'm lucky enough to get in at the Daily Express, so I'm sort of doing a lot of subbing work at the Daily Express and uh, sort of thing like that, which is sort of very, you know, seeing the other side of how nationals work as opposed to the regional. Yeah. But, um, but you know, I, in, in a regional job, you you have to do everything, you know, you can't, you know, you used to be able to just write and not do anything else, but those, those days have long gone. You've got to be able to do the whole, whole shebang these days. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I, you know, would, would, would say I can lend my hand to, to most, most aspects of journalism and that side of things. So, uh, you know, and you enjoy it all and, you know, you probably look to when you start, you'll, you want to write as much as you can. And then as you've done that, you sort of, I, I actually love the sort of design and layout side of things. Um, sort of in later years but you but you still write you never you never lose that you know yeah that, yeah yeah that will will to write and wanting to to report on stuff so yeah so it's a bit of an all-rounder in every sense <laughs> and, and you refer to yourself as a sports fanatic what what else apart from football what are the top oh, three love, um well, horse racing love horse racing go whenever i can um to that uh always always follow that from a young age and and follow that very closely cricket played cricket sort of play well I don't play now but still a member at Abingdon Vale where I sort of I live in Abingdon so been cool. there all my life so love love that side of things um but you know I mean I can turn I can watch nearly anything on TV probably I'd probably say rugby is the one thing that I've never I would watch it if it's on but I wouldn't go out my way to watch it you know but but most most other sports it's um you know, oh, um, you know, not Formula One. I get very bored by that. <laughs> uh, people, you know, I, 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 I do like motorsport and a different thing. You know, well, you, you have to really for Nick spending all yeah, that time. I was going to yeah, say. I, yeah. I was just going to say, you know, I, I obviously love the MotoGP side of things. I, I used to like Formula One where cars actually overtook each other, but these days they just seem to flip <laughs> around the track. Yeah, I, I can resonate with that, to be fair. <laughs> I used to be a huge fan and it's just died off. Yeah, but, um, yeah. Yeah, they, so, they need to liven up with a with a run to the they have to sprint to the starting grid, and the fastest one gets the best car. So you have to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. how, how are you back to the football? How are you feeling about uh, the conclusion of the season, where it comes to um, Oxford United? And yeah, I mean, I'm I, well, I'm delighted that that they have the chance to finish off the hard work they started. I think I think that's the sort of the overriding thing. I mean, I you know. The, the bigger picture is everyone has to be safe and healthy and you know ev everyone knows that you know the, the the ethical thing but you know reasons behind everything but it's um you know the, the financial loss is obviously massive but at the end of the day you start yeah. the season you invest money and you employ people in order to try to achieve something and and if that had been you know not allowed to happen i totally understand why that could have been the case but it would have been a real shame. At least, you know, it's going to be nobody knows how anyone's going to cope, do they, with with the whole situation that they're all going to find themselves in. But yeah, um, you know, deep deep down, I'm delighted they've got a chance to to finish off um, to finish off everything they started. Because you know, until the start of March, you know, it'd been an unbelievable season for in various different aspects. You know, but. Uh, so yeah, and with the Premier League as well, you know, it's um, you know, seen it elsewhere. It's not going to be the same, is it? It's not going to be the same viewing experience and for anybody. But um, it's good to have something back to watch, isn't it? That's yeah, I, that that's it. I, I to be honest, I wasn't watching much of the Premier League. Um, 
you know mainly because I was focusing on us but yeah I'm, I'm delighted to have something back a sense of normality but just watching it it's not quite the same is it no it's it, kind of fake crowd sound and yeah it's a bit it's, it's gonna, lacking it's gonna take some getting used to isn't it because it yeah um, it, you know it's um it's not football so as games as well it's gonna be thick and fast oh, it'll be watch this watch this watch this and people you're not people might be sick of it after a few days it's, it's uh it's just you know every, you look at every night and there's sort of one game two games five games it's it's yeah keeping up with it, it's just going to be a complete nightmare Speaking of there being no crowds in stadiums, did you see that Oxford United today have, have put something out there? So play, I think fans can pay twenty five quid, yeah, and they can I whack their thought, face yeah. on a cutout. I, yeah, I mean, you know, I've already got Lawrence Figure who put on one to uh, put, the under, <laughs> put in. The I was going to say <laughs> the problem with it is if you if you kind of put yourself on one, what expression do you you know do you t- do you take because. You could either be delighted or somewhere in between or really disappointed. But if you get caught with a really, really happy smile yes. behind yeah. behind like the East stand and Pompey have scored a 92nd minute winner or something and your your face is just there in the backdrop of a Daryl yeah. Fisher image. Yes. <laughs> I think the um, even better one would be, um, well, not better one, but be an own goal. As if, if we scored an own goal and then... Uh, one of our friends turns around and sees you sort of gawping at them in um, in delight, and he's like, "Yeah, just just don't need that, mate." <laughs> I, I feel it may be, um, you know, it's a it's a good way to potentially sort of make some money and you know yeah. do something. But there, there is part of me that fears that um, you know it may well be people putting their best. You know, oh, I'll happily give the club twenty five quid, and I'll put my my best mate's mum on. You know, it's uh, it could be very very open <laughs> for somebody to exploit the situation here with. Uh, a picture of somebody that might not necessarily um, want to be there. They want to be there, yeah. Surely you're going to wow. need to make sure we get enough for it to not look pathetic, even more pathetic. Yes, um, yeah. Which is another angle. But um, you, don't, you don't. I mean, we're already going to be massively abused by the whole football world for only having three sides, as we have True. been at the Kassan. You don't want it from the other end of, you know, there's five people in the crowd behind the goal. But I, I'm Oxford fans tend to get these things right, don't they, and come together. And, you know, I'm sure that... Um, I think I'm sure so. that make it look good. Twenty five quid's an expensive joke in my eyes. So it, who knows? then it could also be a very <laughs> funny joke. So uh, yeah, true. Um, do, you, do you back to the football? Do you reckon we've got enough? It's it's a hard call, isn't it? But do you reckon we've got enough um, to get past Pompey? And then let's yeah. hope it's not Fleetwood. I should, I don't know. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I th- I think I have to say that I think it probably the the one thing about it being behind closed doors is that might benefit Oxford slightly because a, a full house at Fratton Park is quite intimidating. So if you are going to play Pompey, maybe, you know, playing them in front of nobody when it's purely going to come down to 11 v 11 and no, you know, other, you know, I, I know that the Oxford fans can get behind the team at the Kassam, but, you know, Fratton Park yeah. is a very close stadium, isn't it? With uh, you're right on top of each other and there's a lot of noise comes out of that. But uh yeah, I mean, you know, I, th- I think one of the things is going to come down to is w- w- what eleven can each manager put out because there's going to be twists and turns, aren't there, in terms of testing, yeah, injuries, indeed. and this. You know, if you if Oxford can put their first eleven out, then that they they could be anyone on their day in that league. So uh, you know, providing that's all okay, I, I, I'm you know, I, I would back them. And I, I want to ask you both this actually before I forget. It's the the Andrew Napton vote for player of the season at the moment john who who would be your pick um well i voted for 
James Henry, and I only voted for him once, which I think there's been some uh, abuse <laughs> yeah. going on on that front. I I would definitely have Gorin, literally and uh, metaphorically, chomping at James Henry's um, feet <laughs> for for that, and probably Rob Dickey in the mix as well. But I understand a lot of the people giving Ruffles, um, you know, oh, pole, okay. pole position in it as well. But no, I went James Henry. So what about you, Mark? Well, it, uh, the Ruffles vote is is a lot of people will vote just because of his goal at Shrewsbury, won't they? That's yeah. <laughs> you know, if he hadn't scored that, we wouldn't be in this situation anyway. But um, uh, I think uh, it's a very tough one. I mean, for me, maybe Rob Dickey slightly edges it um, just because I, I just think he's been immense and grown as the, as the season's gone on. Um, but, you know, th- th- there are quite a few players you could you could quite happily throw into the mix. I mean, Henry's goals without them, where would you be? You know, it's, um, it's everywhere. If you put, if you're telling me I have to pick one, I would pick Rob Dickey. Good. I did the same. So oh, you're not alone there. Great, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. I reckon it'll be close. Won't yeah, it? We'll have to, yeah. Have to see. Um, it's nice to have that though, isn't it? When you, you know, when you get to a point where it's like the goalkeeper every year yeah. and it's like, without question, everyone just knows that's what it's going to be. I think we had it at some point, didn't we? With Clarkey, I imagine. Yeah, um, although the, the the best what you say about the goalkeeper winning it, I, I I think I think I'm right in saying this that the the absolutely dreadful year we had and the, when we got relegated under David Kemp and conceded hundred goals, hundred goals. I'm yeah. sure that Richard Knight got yeah of the year. I think that rings a bell. To be fair, he did have he did play very well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he could have been <laughs> granted it two hundred if he hadn't had a good season. But it's it you know I bet there's not very often that a goalkeeper's conceded hundred goals in a season and still won Player of the Year. So well, it has thrown a few odd ones in the past. <laughs> um, now, as this is your debut appearance, we've done this with all the the media chaps that have been on. Um, we've got to start with some traditional tip manner questions. So, firstly, where where are you actually? From where you brought up, and where you kind of brought up as an Oxford fan? Uh, yeah, so um, Abing, I've been Abingdon, um, born in Oxford, brought up in Abingdon all my life. Lived in Abingdon. I've sort of lived in a couple of villages around it, but basically been Abingdon based throughout. And um, you didn't live in Bradley, uh, did you, by any chance? No, oh, that's far too posh. No, no, I didn't live there. Um, it's Radley posh. Well, it's oh, posh the... Are you posh, John? Well, I don't know. Um, I've always thought of myself as a bit, bit rough, but apparently not. <laughs> um, and then uh, in terms of sort of starting up, yes, I mean, I, I went to probably watch my first game at the Manor um, when I was probably seven or eight. I was, I was always a massive football fan. And I sort of like when you were, when you were young, sort of, you know, sort of talking in the sort of mid 80s, I mean, the one thing that I will get in early doors is never myself and my brother, who's two years younger than me, never forgiven my dad for going to the Milk Cup final without us because <laughs> I was I was seven at the time and you know I know exactly why he did it because obviously you know you can have a much better day if you haven't got a seven year old and a five year old. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and to be fair, we hadn't you know sort of watched Oxford play that you know then and it wasn't big thing. I mean, he still says it was very expensive. You know, we got the coach there and ticket, and it would have cost a fortune. But um, but yeah, but I did you know we we did start going out there. My dad sort of took us up there as, as sort of um, as youngsters. Uh, sort of, I guess we're nine ten years old when we probably we saw our first games and then started watching them sort of in the um early 90s you know properly i would say going up there most weeks to uh 
for when we could. Um, so yeah, so I've always been, you know, they, they've always been as as I've always been an Oxfordshire, Oxfordshire lad. Oxford have always been, you know, as local team as it as as it should be. Really, it's um, you know, all yeah. when you follow. Does any one of those early games or seasons really stand out for you? Well, the, the, my first game, funnily enough, um, so when I was very young, I, I, so I, I sort of support West Ham for no reason other than apparently I used to like the colour purple when I was very young and that was the team I picked because <laughs> they were played in purple. So I've always, I've always had a sort of, you know, an allegiance to West Ham. And actually my first game was, um, this is where somebody's going to look it up and say, oh, you were however old when you did it. But um, Oxford... We're playing West Ham, and and West Ham had just signed Ludek McClosko, the goalkeeper. Oh yeah, who yeah. Football yeah. miles, and and bizarrely, I went on a tour of the Manor that either that the day of the game or the day before it, and they were worried because they'd seen all these videos, and well, you know, he's going to kick the ball the length of the pitch at the Manor. You know, when he's kicking down the slope, he'll, and so that that was the first sort of you know first time really saw them up there, and then went back you know after that, and I mean I have to say. Probably the most memorable early game was when um, game when uh, Joey Beecham was up against Julian Dix, and I used to love Julian, yeah. just because he kicked everything and everyone and didn't care. <laughs> um, and Joey absolutely mullered him, and I just remember thinking, "Wow, this is you know, <laughs> this is something special to see uh, to see that." So, so that would be my first, and then, and then in terms of when I watched them regularly, um, my first one was probably I think it was the first game of the season. I think John Burns scored a hat trick. I think that's right. I might have um, somebody will correct. I think they were on four nil, and John Byrne scored a hat trick, or it was certainly at nice. Um, see, and and from then you're sort of like, wow, this is good. This is really good, you know. And uh, and then you you know you sort of start watching them, and then they were you know, from there you can so many different memorable games. But, but certainly those were ones that sort of captured my imagination as a youngster. Yeah. Any any particular player or manager other than Joey, because everyone just says Joey, yeah, that, that really stood out early doors that. You would consider as a as kind um, of idols, as it were. No, I mean, I, I mean, I have to say that as boring as it is, Joey, Joey was always, <laughs> always, I mean, always the one that catches your eye. I mean, I, I, yeah, Jim Jilton, you know, was yeah. again, you know, was sort of very, I mean, he's very early day. And and I have to say, as embarrassing it is, because sort of I've got to know him very well. I'm quite good friends with him since. But you know, someone like Mickey Lewis was, you know, I just love players. And as I say, with the Julian Dixing, if you see a player like chucking him after tackles and flying around like a madman on the pitch and getting stuff. That was, you know, really got you going, didn't it, as a fan? If, you know, it's the same as in later years, there have been players who, you know, they're not scared to shirk a tackle and they'll fly in there. So, uh, so yeah, so sorry, I'm a bit boring on that one, but, you know, Joey. That's fine. Yeah. I'm, st- I'm still waiting for someone to go like left field and be like Christoph Remy or <laughs> Brian Wilsterman. We haven't quite got there yet. No. I always love those like Mickey Lewis type players. And when they do interviews, they're like, no, I could actually play football. Like, I could actually pass. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wasn't this sort of like maniac yeah. who was charged around destroying people. <laughs> the, the, the <laughs> but it's team. like, yeah, that was your well, job. The, the, the teammates that sort of say, I couldn't be a good player on the ball if it wasn't for a player like Mickey Lewis in the team. Absolutely, you know, yeah. It, Stock answer. That literally was what was said. Who was Mickey on a podcast with? I don't remember now. Was it Jim? Or Jim? Oh, yeah, he did, he did one with Jim, didn't he? On the thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was it. Yeah. He was. He absolutely said exactly that. Yeah. So there you go. Um. Right, John, you're going to lead this bit. Yeah, we're going to do the um back in time, turn the clock back, and maybe be slightly serious for a bit when we talk a bit about sort of local media and stuff. But in terms of your career, Mark, I mean, you went 
straight into the Oxford Mail if I'm I'm right yeah. and you went and you then progressed to be the sort of sports editor. I mean, for the uninitiated, what 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 does a sports editor mean? Is I take it to be sort of you're more, a bit more chained to your desk, waiting for for Dave to file from deepest darkest barrow type always of thing. Wait, <laughs> always waiting for Dave to file. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, yes, you're, you're right. That that is, you know, the role of the sports editor is is basically I, I would go in and and I mean there isn't just there is more to it than just Oxford United has some data about it. As as the sports editor, you you make the decisions on what you're going to put in the next day's paper, where it's going to go, how much coverage you give it. You know, should we use this picture, that picture? You sort of design the pages of what's going to be the most eye-catching layout, the best picture, the best headline. You know, so um, I mean, obviously, there's other people there that you would you would you know allocate a page to and say that on this page is you know rugby, golf, bar billiards, Aunt Sally, you know, whatever it is, you you, you do it, and then but what what you're judged by probably is is how eye-catching the back pages are and the design and that sort of thing. So you. Certainly when, when I became sports editor, you don't do, as I sort of alluded to earlier, you, you don't write so much. You have somebody that that mainly, you we've always had, um, or there has always been a main writer. Like, so Dave now, yeah. just, so Dave's pri- primary focus was always writing. He's got to come every day, you know, right, Dave, what's your back page story? You know, sometimes, and I mean, I can count on one hand, he'd be like, well this one but I'm not sure well and then you might you know have a bit of a chat and say well if you angled it this way rather than that way but I mean with Dave most of the time it's just you know he knows exactly what you're looking for and what you need and uh, do that so it's just, it's just a bit you know it is a bit more you know on a Tuesday night Dave would be at the game I would be in the office that's sort of you know that that's the easiest way to sum up the sports editor rather than the sports writer is you're, you're in the office you are in the office far more than you are out um, 100%. And, uh, you know, since, since, uh, so I was actually made sports editor in 2006. And so from then till December, um, basically apart from my sort of five weeks annual leave a year, I've worked every single Sunday for that 13 years, Wow. which a lot of people, it, it always makes me laugh, but then, you know, once you point it out that it's sort of like a sort of eureka moment and they say, wow, you know, you have to work on a Sunday. It's like, well, do you want, you expect to see a paper on your, you know, in the shops on a Monday, when when do you think you would produce that if you were working <laughs> on a Sunday? You know, all these matches that are played on a Saturday afternoon, they don't just suddenly magically appear. So, um, so yeah, so that you know, there, there's um, it, it, it's it's far more sort of desk work than 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 being out and about. But you you still do go out and about. And I I had a spell that I'm sure we'll talk about that I, I actually was doing both jobs, which was sports editor job and the sort. Of chief writer, sports writer job because somebody had left and we were in the process of recruiting and, and for one reason or another. So for about eight months, I was doing both. And I mean, it nearly killed me to be fair because you're working every single Saturday covering United as a writer and then you work every single Sunday as a sports editor. Um, and it's just, you know, unfortunately, that's the sort of position Dave's in now with the uh, with the sort of incessant cuts that, that papers and sort of people people in power have even forced but it's um did you, you, know, did, you it, did you find in that sort of time that it's quite difficult to separate the reporter and the and the editor because yes. i imagine there must be a time when the pictures and the content come in and you can just go to that picture that's obviously yeah. the spread but if you're a reporter head down is there quite mm-hmm. a is it quite easy to sort of separate the two when you're 
obviously doing them differently or, or uh, is it kind of yes, yes or no it's, it's a very it's a very good point because the, the jobs are when when i was bought really as a sports editor you just want you don't want to be doing the writing side of thing if you go down that road because it's important to have a divide for example and as, as i say i don't think this has happened today but, but it's happening sometimes you will write a story that will annoy somebody they will think it's either they don't agree with your opinion they think they've been misquoted they think they you know that that wasn't the best line of the story blah 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 so if somebody's written that the sometimes the issue is with the person that's written the story so if they can come to somebody else and you can then take a you know balanced approach to your answer to them it's much easier than it is if you're the person that's written the story you know you've got far your defence is not as great when you're the person that's written it and put it on the page. You know, you're fighting your own battle as opposed to having somebody else to. to so, do the, it. so the managers, for example, then if they take ex- exception to something, will yeah. they come to you or will they go to Dave and so, <laughs> let um, the uh, hairdryer go? Yeah, so probably to Dave first, and they would be like that. Sometimes it's the chairman, it's those higher up that come to you. So, I mean, the, the sort of uh, the, the big. The big one and and he, he didn't do it in a bad way but when when Chris Wilder and Kelvin Thomas were there for example Kelvin his his big thing with with Oxford United was that bear in mind that when they took we all know you don't need to go into where they were and the situation mm. of the club we, we all know that he wanted to make sure that Oxford United were not only in the sports pages of the Oxford Mail but in the news pages as well he didn't he wanted the whole coverage okay. to be so much more and it's probably the first time a chairman's taken on that, you know, almost this is how it's going to be. Not only do we want coverage on about the football, but we want people to know what we're doing off the field, the community side of things. But it never really happened before. And, uh, you know, you, obviously the news side would pick up stories. And it, I mean, it used to be really if Oxford United were in the news pages, they'd either they'd done something wrong. You know, they, they'd hit the headlines by not paying somebody or, you know, being accused of this or whatever. But um, but he did it. And, and you know, Kelvin and I often, oh, numerous occasions, we agreed to disagree. We always got on with it. You know, we, we, there was never a fallout over it. We would, you know, he would disagree with my opinion. I'd disagree with his. And we'd shake hands and move on. And we could both see, you know, the, the big thing. And, and the one thing that Oxford fans... Um, uh, probably probably realize how lucky they are but i don't know is that the coverage that oxford united received not just from the oxford mail but from bbc oxford as well is is there aren't many teams at their level that receive anywhere near that anywhere yeah near yeah it's, it's something that came up with certainly with the bbc with oxford pods and, and with yeah. and with it, dave and it it is hard to um take yourself out of that shell i mean we live in yorkshire as most people will know and um if you look at, say, the Yorkshire Post, quite often a lot of Leeds coverage and Doncaster do get covered, but not very much. Yeah. And then you have to go down to the sort of Doncaster Free Press to get even even more of that. And um, I think people do and they don't know it, but it's nice actually through this to sort of reinforce that that point. Yeah. Oh, yeah and, 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 and the other thing is like, so the one thing that you get so often is like, oh, you know, any excuse to write a negative story, blah, blah, blah. And and it used to in absolutely infuriate me because nobody wants Oxford United to succeed more than than the supporters, of which we are supporters. Yeah. It is it is so much easier. 
and so much better to cover a t- football team that are winning games, doing well, striving to, you know, achieve A, B, C, than it is to cover a team when when they're losing each week. You know, a, a winning team, players want to talk. It's more people are more relaxed. Suddenly, you cover losing. Everyone's scared to say anything in case it's done. Like, and, and that's when you know. I mean, any fallout really. Very few times have you fallen out with when a team's doing well, because there's no reason to. It's when people get questioned, when things aren't going so well, and, and we have to do that. And that's the one thing that, to be fair to Kelvin, he was very aware of, is that you know our job is to be balanced. If Oxford are winning, we will say how well they're playing. If they're losing, you have to say that some. You know, if you lose a game, somebody or something somewhere has gone wrong during that game, and it's your job to make that, you know, clear to people. Now, it's not nice criticising people and it's not nice to be criticised, but it's part of the job sometimes, you know. It's, yeah. um, and, and I think we're, you know, I think it's something we've got. The balance The balance is, is very right. You know, some people say, you, should, you know, more, need, if you did more work on this, that and ever. And a lot of it comes down to resources. Um, yeah. Not that we don't want to do it. It's like, can you do it? What will you get out of it? And sometimes it is a bit, is it worth it? You know, you could spend hours and hours digging something out. You're like, all that's going to do is annoy ABC. And it's really not worth that going forward. That's the difference between a national newspaper who wouldn't care. You know, at the back of your mind, you do have to have that, you know, tomorrow morning, you have to face this person. If you have written something that, you know, is slightly naughty about them or whatever, you know, of course you'll take it course you will and you'll never back away from doing a controversial story if you have to do it but you have to get that balance right and um is, is there know. a slight and this might sound a bit of a random question is there a slight um kick that you might get from if the chairman does pick up the phone because you you stand by your piece of course you will yeah but but you'll kind of go well we've rattled the cages and we must have fit a source what therefore we've done our job and told the fans supporters something that they should be aware of yeah. yeah, I was going to ask if there was any ever a quirky headline or anything like that that just particularly riled them. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, okay, so I'll, t- I'll tell you the one that and it still makes me chuckle and I and we now joke about it when I speak to him. And, and again, it's, 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 it's with Kelvin, who was probably one of the most, probably the most hands-on chairman in terms of dealing with the media that, that we've had for, you know, Daryl was very good, but, you know, probably Kelvin and Daryl were the, were the ones that, but Kelvin was, was brilliant. And and he we'll get to up. Mr. Kassam later as well. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry, I didn't mention him in there. But, um, but, um, Kel, it, they were going through a particularly sticky point, um, United, and because they they tended to do this, didn't they? Sometimes under Wilder, especially in League League Two under Wilder, they they would quite often lose three and then win three. You know, it was it was yeah. never, and they'd lost a few games, and and people were beginning to get a little bit restless. And um, I remember him him saying, "Look, I'd like to do a piece," he, and he rang me and said like to do a piece, sort of put people straight, you know, tell people don't panic, blah, blah, blah. It's all that. And went up there and we spent a long time in his office and he went through loads of stuff. And, and the one line he came out with, look, we know it's going to be a roller coaster. It, everyone's just, you know, almost got to strap yourselves in and do what you can. And on the way back to the office, I was like, this is brilliant. And I got, and at the time we had a graphic artist at the mail. We didn't, you know, with the cuts, there's not one there now, but the time there was, I went back, I said, right, could you find a picture of a roller coaster? And I want <laughs> Kelvin and and Chris Wilder at the front of it, put their oh, faces on it. 
And um, and he was like, oh, that's brilliant. And I said, you know, I, it will get the point across of, you know, strap yourself in. It's going to be well. And oh, my God. The, I mean, I think my phone went about seven o'clock the next morning. <laughs> and it's never good when you when I, I think it probably was on silent next to me. And I sort of, you know, you know, when you sort of hear it buzzing away or something, you like have a look. And it's like this call from Kelvin Thomas. You're like, this isn't going to be good at seven o'clock in the morning. And he was fuming. He was like, you know, I did a serious piece. And I said, no, no, I'm, I'm you know, to, to get the point across, I said, you know, I still think it works and whatever else. And, and he still, we still have a laugh about that now. That's the one thing that, you know, I, <laughs> there's, there's only been a few occasions when I've, um, you know, done it. But anytime you receive a phone call from one of them before about eight o'clock in the morning is, uh, you know, it's not good news. But that, that was the one that really got him. And, as I say, but now he, you know, at the time he's not happy about it, but he looks back and he, he can have a laugh about it now. And we, you know, I, I spoke to him in, in December, sort of just before I left and whatever, and still joking. So I oh, still got that page, still one of my favourites, you on the roller coaster. Oh, don't you start. So, uh, see, Brilliant. but like you say, that's one of the things that is, you know, you don't think anything of it. And it, it sort of shows, you know, it's, it's better to have that than just a picture of Kelvin sat in a stand. You know, you try to liven up a page and make it look, like that but you know again that's at the time when i was writing and sports editing so he's got no one else to go to it's all to me so uh so yeah so that, that's a particular favorite of mine and i still i still think i made the right call even though he doesn't so uh. <laughs> i mean i, I tongue-in-cheek mentioned kasam mr kasam and we'll talk about it later but actually i think it, it chimes quite well to talk about it now so yeah you were you've uh when we were talking before this, mentioned the time that um, the paper was banned by Mr. Kassam and, and perhaps you could talk us through that uh, yeah. that minefield. It sounds like uh, an interesting one. I mean, I mean, I have to say, and I, I think very much, I, I've always gotten a right with him. You know, I really have. And it, I think a lot of it is, I, you know, you come across and you fight your own corner and whatever else, but I've never, you know, if you, if you phoned him, he, he would, you, you, all you can do as a journalist is ask him the question, how he answers. You know, sometimes you get, such unfair criticism for a story you've written like well that doesn't say anything it's like well hold on a minute i've put the questions to him that you want to know if he doesn't answer them you can't force somebody to say these words um and and again it's going back to when when the club you know the club weren't doing well they were languishing towards the bottom of league two and um and actually, the, the funny thing about it was that it was um, he didn't ban the paper. He just banned John Murray, who was the uh, writer at the time. Yeah. And the irony about that was that if John called up to speak to somebody, if he called up to be put through to the manager or, you know, whatever, because it was sort of, you know, sometimes you had to go through the protocol of, you know, if you want to speak to him, they would say he's not available. If I were to call up, they would put me through. So it was it was a personal thing. And he wasn't happy. Um, Mr. Kassam wasn't happy about what he he deemed sort of negative coverage or so, and and wouldn't grasp the fact that hold on a minute, the club are you know sixteenth in League Two, um, going nowhere fast apart from downhill. You know this is there's all these rumblings behind the scenes that everyone knows of and is aware of, and yeah. um, did it. But but the the funny thing about it was that we, we made a decision. Um, it wasn't my decision. It was I wasn't sports editor at the time I was um sort of down still sort of working my way up if you like and the decision was taken by those higher up that that's fine um we're not accepting that so I w I wasn't going to call because I could have called and got a story but we were like we're not going to put them on the back page of the paper 
and they launched um it was and the stupid thing was that i think i'm correct here, it was sort of end of season type saga because i i can't remember what the final thing was that you know made it all come to life but certainly they were releasing uh season ticket prices a new kit all this sort of stuff. And we used to um when when season ticket prices came out we used to do a huge graphic that filled the whole page in the paper this is how much your season ticket would be on each and we didn't even mention that they were selling them and we had the ticket office call us we had the commercial department calling us to say you know you haven't put anything in on this we're like no that's correct and I'm like, well, why not? Like, well, because if you, if the club, I'm going to speak to the person that we want them to speak to. We're, we're not going to promote the club. And suddenly, I mean, it didn't last very long at all. But it made a lot of headlines, sort of around, you know, nationally and everywhere else. You know, club club bands paper slash journal. Yeah. But actually, all it did was backfire because when when he then said, Mr. Sam said, okay, it's fine. You know, we we just didn't like the negative thing. If you could be more positive, that would be great. Um, but you can speak again. I'm not joking. The phone, within about an hour, we had had calls from every single department at Oxford United you could imagine. You know, commercial, you know, we want we want to sell season tickets. We want to sell new kits, this, that, everything else. And we're like, you know, if you think we're just going to click our fingers and go back yeah. to it. So it actually spectacularly backfired because it, but it was a good thing. It was actually, at the time it was difficult, but it actually worked to be a good thing for the paper because it it, it actually showed the club probably what they're missing without the coverage from it because you've got to remember this is before any social media or websites and so and, and for a lot of people the main source of getting the Oxford United news was through the through the paper or from a store yeah well, I remember growing up it, it you really did get a copy of it and and it was often you very you, you learned something new yes. from it that you hadn't yeah. picked up two minutes before on on your phone nowadays um I'm just um, picturing an image of because it never works when somebody bans someone, and no, I'm just picturing yeah. Mr. Sam sort of going like, "Okay, well, if you be a bit more positive, then I'll let you back in my club." And it's like, yeah, yeah it, was, it just doesn't last. Was that quite weird as kind of like a fan as well to be doing that? Yeah, if you know what I mean, yeah. because you've kind of you know you want the club to sell season tickets, but at the same time you've got integrity yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, so that must have been a weird like yeah balance you're, you're absolutely right and you've got to do it and like i say we, we could have done it because we could have just said look john don't worry i will call them every day you know get stories and we'll keep doing it but we were like hold on a minute no we're not you know that that means that they've won you know they're choosing no we are choosing this you know this is our Oxford united reporter he should um you know he's the person that needs to speak to people etc cetera, etc cetera. and yeah you know it's um it is a weird situation because you know that, you know, Dave touched on it as well, but Oxford United is huge. The sport in Oxfordshire, certainly, you know, since, I mean, you used to have top flights sort of Speedway and that sort of thing, but certainly for the last 15 years, Oxford United's all, you know, all that it's about, you know, Oxford City have had some cut runs and of course you give them, you know, give them the coverage they deserve when they're doing that, but... It, you know what people want to read, quite honestly. And, and whenever Oxford United do well, I always remember our um, newspaper sales manager at the time, and and I struggled to believe this when he told me, and then it came true when you look at it closely. But and I'm, I mean, as I say, I'm still going back 15 years plus. Yeah. Well, our sales figures on a Monday could vary by up to a thousand 
depending on the result on the Oxford United <laughs> Saturday. If when they're losing, people you don't want to pick it up and read about another one dismal one nil defeat, you know, away somewhere. Suddenly you beat somebody four nil, and oh god, yeah, I want to, I you know, see what's been said, see what people were saying about it. And and I was like, no, I don't, I think you're exaggerating there. And then suddenly you you break it down, and you know, obviously you got the sales figures for every day over the time, and and you looked at it and married it up with the result, and you're like, wow, there is a difference now. As a sports person, of course, I'm going to say that, you know, sales figures, the Oxford Mail were dependent on Oxford United's result. But, you know, sometimes that's that's the case. I was I was told when I went to the paper, if you um, if you want the paper to sell, you need either a murder, bad weather or, <laughs> or Oxford United on the front page. <laughs> so that that game against Ipswich this season was perfect then. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, circumstances slightly different, but yeah, you're right. yeah. I don't think anyone died in it, did they? But yeah, no, a... no, probably <laughs> close. I mean, Mark, we we were going to touch on it with with Dave, but we didn't sadly have have time, and um, yeah, it's not something we'll sort of dwell on too much. But I mean, we did want to talk to you a bit about the kind of broader picture about local news, because I mean, you mentioned sales figures and, yeah. and resources kind of being pulled away, and and I think especially at the moment with sort of times of of COVID. Sort of local media has never been more important, but you know that it's pretty sobering times for for print media, especially. Um, yeah. You're seeing the move to digital. I mean, how, how do you sort of see the future for sort of local news? Obviously, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of kind of you know buy a paper campaigns on social media. You see the Oxford Mail yes. doing the kind of we're we're with you type of sort mm. of togetherness campaigns, which are very much aimed at solidarity as well as a subtle sort of. You know, yeah. remember where we are, but I mean, how how do you sort of see things, and and in that sort of given your experience, and I I have to say, I think it's very worrying times, especially for um for regional papers, full stop. Because when I started, when I first joined the desk in nineteen ninety, there was I was the eighth full time member of Sports Desk there, and um we all we were doing was producing newspapers. No, this this internet thing wasn't around. You know, there was uh, <laughs> that typewriter. Yeah, it was. Um, we we'd just gone past that stage actually, but not by far. <laughs> no. But but you were producing newspapers every day, and that's all you were doing. You would churn out newspapers, and then um, gradually things changed. I mean, so when I started the Oxford Mail, um, I mean, you know, you can go back further. The Oxford Mail used to have used to have a paper, the sort of famous the Greenan, it was called that when sort of you know, going back 60s, 70s, it would, this paper would be at, outside the manor ground at 5.30 on a Saturday and would have a full report from the game you've just seen, all the local non-league games and everything. It was rattled off, brought up there, and they would, after the match at the manor, clearly I'm too young for this, so I, this is all what everyone's told me and I've seen the pictures, there would be a queue outside the manor for people waiting for the Greenland to arrive, for people to pick it up and read about the match they've just seen. So... You've gone from that to when I started the Oxford Mail, the first paper was, well, the deadline for the first edition was at 9am in the morning. Then there was another one at 12 o'clock, which came out later that afternoon. That then changed to one edition. And then that one edition was printed at midnight, so it could be out earlier. So things have evolved. But the eight of us were being paid to produce a newspaper. um, And, you know, sales figures were nearing 30,000 copies a day the paper it was you know they're all suddenly 
the internet's come along and, and everyone's aware of, you know, suddenly you don't have to pay for your news. It's all there. It's all in front of you. You, you know, it's instant. And papers have never, as much as some have tried and some, some are doing an okay job. You know, you look at the sort of times and the mail online, you know, those ones that have introduced this thing. Nobody's actually worked out a really efficient way of making newspapers and instant news work financially. They, they and as much as they've tried, they, it, it just hasn't happened. And you're now in a situation where gradually that eight got cut to seven, then it got cut to six, then we went from in one go from six to four, then two years ago we went to three. I was made redundant in December, so we're now they're now at two, and with this with the situation we're in at the minute, you know it's sort of it's sort of one and a half at the minute working on the sports desk there now. You're now, and is that sorry? Is that kind of if you're able to say is that costs being because I think people would want to sort of why is that? Is it the costs of producing it that's driving the saying we can't afford as many reporters as we used to be able to, or is yeah. it what's I mean, the sort of the, the business rationale? I suppose that someone who was saying this is why we're doing it would trumpet so, it. In. So the difference now is that you have something that you can measure by what you're doing on, which is the amount of hits you get for each story yeah. on the web. So yeah. we've never had that before. You know, you can say that, you know, sport has always helped sell newspapers. They're, I don't care. I know I'm a sports person, but even the most ardent yeah, you know, sure. anti-sports person, if they disagree with that, I would, they're lying. It's it's a fact. Sport helps sell newspapers. And suddenly you're, you're in a situation where something now is measured. Now, I know what the, the figures were on stories, you know, at the mail. And, and Oxford United figures, great, you know, the rest of the sports figures are alarmingly low. Now, those people above, and I have to say this, and you know, I can't get in trouble anymore. Most of them are absolutely clueless as to what goes into producing sports pages. I, I don't think there's anybody that sits on, especially in the company that I work for, that has a clue about sport or even is interested in sport. They accept it has to happen. Right. All they judge on are the web figures. And if you're judging on that, if they have their way, they would just be Oxford United. They would say, why are you bothering covering Oxford City? Why do you bother covering rugby? Why do you do this, do that? Because people aren't reading it online. And that's where they're making these judgments from. They are looking at these figures and saying, well, that's low. Well, why are we wasting time doing that? Forget that. We don't need that. You know, blah, blah, blah. And mm. and you're now in a situation where, you know, Dave's having to produce for a newspaper audience on one, which obviously sales figures have plummeted as they have everywhere because of the internet. So you're now, most people that buy the paper now are 50 plus, 60 plus, because they've always grown up buying it. You know, you, yeah. I speak to people all the time and, you know, I, I used to, went into some schools and, you know, talking to teenagers. A lot of them didn't even know there was a paper called the Oxford Mail. They just thought it was a website. You know, you don't, <laughs> People just don't buy it these days if you're young because you don't need to because they're just used to getting their, you know, Twitter, Facebook, wherever, every social media channel going. Um, so it is dodgy times because the people the people that make these decisions are make it purely on looking at spreadsheets and figures and don't really have the um, sort of know-how and knowledge and, and interest to know how these things are put together. But... And how, you know, if I could just, the one the one thing now is that how on earth is, for example, if Oxford are playing away at wherever on a Tuesday night, 
if you haven't got the resources or the staff to have somebody at the game and also somebody else in the office, you know, bear in mind that by the time, you know, a, a quarter to 10 at night, you'll sat with three blank pages before everything comes in. How can that person at the game who's, you know, got to do a live blog, tweet every two minutes with the latest, you know, whatever's happening after the game, get, get a match report on the website at the final whistle, then run down and interview people, then come back up and write up that story to do it. How, how are they supposed to produce a paper from the, you know, it, it's just your, the coverage you're going to get is going to be next to nothing just because it's just impossible to do. And, and that, that's the biggest worry for me because it's, it's a shame because I, you know, I loved it and, you know, I, I haven't got a bad word to say about Elton Mail and the fact that I had such a good time there and met so many people and know that a lot of what we did was valued by so many people. But it, it is really, really tough times now to know, to know what you're doing because, you know, you're right for two different audiences. If something happens, if something were to happen now, some Oxford United news were to break now, people would expect something to be on our website and on, on the Oxford Mail website and on the Oxford Mail Twitter straight away. Now, well, Dave, well, Dave's on holiday, actually, but it doesn't matter. If, if Dave was there, he, he's not supposed to be working at this time of night. He's not paid any yeah. to do it. You, you just rely on that person's goodwill. And the one thing that the Oxford Mail have had for years and years, luckily, is a blooming good Oxford United reporter who will go over and above to get the news to them. But other papers don't. I, there's one paper that, during this had had nobody working on their sports desk they didn't have sports pages because you know they're based in they're based in swindon (laughs) i I didn't say that did i but (laughs) not been any sport happening there for years (laughs) no but but you know i mean and and i don't know i might be wrong but you know this um this um this particular place may have won something you know and you've suddenly got nobody there that can write about a success because it's being handed over to a news reporter who you know yeah. might be interested might not it's just potluck who picks it up but it, it's what, worrying what sorry to interrupt but what what i guess ads must have been a big part of yeah kind of monetary income for the paper so i guess when you know if the numbers were dying down in terms of people buying physical copies that that's one thing Nothing, and you're, you're yeah. probably ending up charging less for people to Yes. to get ads and they're subsequently getting obviously less traffic through to them via yeah, the paper precisely and yeah and then what about online as well because i'm often on the site and yes i'm 99 of the time looking at oxford united stories yeah um and you get all of these surveys pop up in your face and oh. ads and so i imagine it must be i, I don't know what the word is but it must be frustrating as journalists yeah. knowing that that stuff is fronting the good material that's there as well, just for the sake of keeping your totally, paper alive. Totally right, because that was that was one thing we got more than anything else was oh well I would I quite happily look at your website for stories if I every two seconds this advert didn't pop up or that and you used to pass it on and, and you know I have to say infuriated you even working there you're like you know you're doing your best here to produce a product that people want and a story that people want and you'd click on it to check it look right or whatever and suddenly you know, slip of the finger or slip of the mouse and you've clicked on, you know, you're suddenly looking at, you know, a barbecue or something, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is, it is there. And, but the, the, the and so, so now that the mail of, you know, it, it's been spoken about for years that they've gone down the line of, you know, you get X amount of stories free. If you register, you get this, then there's a small charge for more. And, and it was inevitable that that was to come um, at some point because 
at some some way, if if you're not making the same money through the newspapers and the advertising revenue that you are, you have to pay these people. You know, that whilst you can, in theory, get news for free in inverted commas, you're not because people aren't writing it every day for no for no reason. That you know, you've got to pay them. Why are they going to do it for nothing? So it's very finely balanced at the minute as to you know where where. Yeah local media go and there's there's cutbacks all over and you know you speak about papers it's radios the same they've had you know their issues of you know last week suddenly you know the radio station that's specific to one is broadened and you now have somebody presenting a show that covers two or three counties you know it's all in fact in fact that's one thing that i feared more than anything else was that we're actually classed as oxfordshire and wiltshire our the company the oxford mail because swindon are sort of our thing I was dreading the day when they decided they tried to merge sports. <laughs> this, it, this it, is it's always, it was at the back of my mind for about 10 years. I'm thinking, how do I do this? Because I you don't want that to happen. And People would be out on the streets for, for that again. I suppose, your, so I suppose your message, or and we don't know that echo that, is to, is to buy a paper and to you know click through the website and generate that traffic. Because as you say, the, the decline will only sort of possibly continue in, in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what what I would say, and, and you know, sort of saying, touched on it earlier about you know how how lucky Oxford fans are would be, I guess, I guess a, an alternative way to look at it is that you know if if people aren't clicking on the website and they're not buying a paper, the the figures of that will not justify there being sports reporters at these regional papers. If if that was the case, ask yourself how much Oxford United news would you receive each week because you would still get your BBC bulletins, but BBC tweets when there's a big story, but there's not necessarily a story because it doesn't go on their the main BBC website, if you know it. Oxford United would obviously have the, the interviews and stuff on their own website, but there wouldn't but, be any, you know, they, they deal in facts. It's all, it's all this happens. That's where I'd worry because yeah. I know I know you're not holding them account to like, like media does to the, say, the national government, but you're only going to get what they want to put out. Absolutely, in, in in that way. Um, but no, it's it's um it's really interesting to to talk about, and I think we just got to continue to echo that point about how lucky we are. Um, moving from perhaps the more sort of reality of life to um to Big Ron, who was <laughs> oh, <laughs> larger, yeah. larger than life. Um, the 125 year celebration celebratory supplement for the Oxford yeah. Mail, which um you know if if you can get a hold of a copy, it is. It is really, really fascinating. Every time I read about it, I genuinely find out something new, and it's yeah, something yeah. you you led on yourself. And um, I mean, Ron Atkinson is you know is the foreword, and he kind of anchored the supplement. I mean, he he's probably someone that I suppose modern era Oxford fans don't talk about as much because he's got that broad association. But but what was he like? I mean, to he seems oh, larger than life in that he, thing. And it, um, it tell us about the chaos or the not yeah, the lack of chaos. I mean, the, the the first thing to touch on very, very briefly, I won't dwell on it, but to to produce that was an achievement in itself. No, no matter if it was good or bad, whatever you thought, just to get it out was because we got, and you know, I, I couldn't have said this six months ago, but I can. We got no help at all. We were desperate to do this. We were like, this is a big thing. Let's do it properly. Myself, Dave, and, and Jack Johnson at the time, and James Roberts, we were all, des- we loved doing supplements, something different, something different to the norm. 
And we knew that it would be a massively popular thing with the supporters. But do you think we could get those people in there? They were petrified. You wouldn't sell it. It wouldn't make money. It would cost too much. You know, it all comes down to that. And I had so many battles to do it. And the amount of times that I came back from a meeting and said to Dave, do we really want to do this? Is it worth it? Then you see the end result. And we were just like, you know, this is you know, this is something you will keep hold of. And and big big one was a was a huge part of the the sort of final product because we had this idea of of said look let's get some big le- you know, legends that are also legends let's get them sitting around a table and get them talking um, about you know the players and if you had an all time team and there were so many different dynamics and thoughts about you know how on earth can you you know Bino can't be in a can Bino be in a team alongside John Aldridge when one was in the top flight one was in the you know best days in the conference whatever and <laughs> so we were we were sort of saying look it's got to be on on their impact that they had at the club and what they provided at the time rather than how good a footballer they were and we got big ron and big ron was up for it and um well he wasn't having any of that it didn't matter what <laughs> he was um he, we, we met in headington and uh he sat down and he was like this won't take long lads we're like, yes, it will want, you know, we've got a load of different positions to go through. And uh, we're like, right, so this is how it's going to work. And we were like, let's have a debate because BBC wanted a bit, you know, various things. We, we were going to do it as a large section in here. The club did it as a sort of feature on there, all gearing up, you know, another, you know, we, we all work together on it for our own different thing. And we said, right, this is this is how it is big. Well, you know, what, what's the, you know, who had the biggest impact? And he was like, no, I've come here to give you my best Oxford United 11 of all time. Yeah, it wasn't titled the Ron Atkinson all time. <laughs> well, we, we sort of had to change it because he, he, you know, and big, I mean, I have to say that we were probably in the pub for about two, two and a half hours. And it's one of the most entertaining times ever. He, big when, when Big One talks, he's a little bit like Jim Smith. When he talks, everyone's just like, you just shut up and listen to him. You know what this bloke's about. You know he's been there, done it, and, and his opinion counts. But God, do you think with the battles we had with him over, you know, well, it's going to it's this person. There is no question. You're like, yeah, but hold on. Let's, and you, we tried to throw some more names into it, but it didn't matter. It literally didn't matter. Big one was like, no, it's <laughs> him. I'm not having anyone say this. Not, uh, and, and the, the one that everyone talks about and the stick and, you know, to go back to him was like, left winger and and I'd spoken to Jerome about it before because Jerome was there with and we were all like do you think he'll go for Joey do you think he'll go for Joey oh it's going to be a tough one this and he's like well it's 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 Kevin Brock you know it's Kevin Brock and we're like no no it isn't Ron you know he can't <laughs> Brock he was unbelievable and did so much good stuff and was in part of the sort of you know gold in the, the 80s sort of thing but what did Joey do yeah but Joey never played in the, in the Premier League did he never did it on the big stage and we're like, yeah but what he gave and the amount of appearances. No, it's Brocky. I'd have Brocky in my day in my team over Joey every day of the week, and you you couldn't you couldn't shut him up. To be perfectly honest with you, he was I mean, good. I mean, <laughs> like the team. So for those who haven't sort of heard the team, it's um so in goal goal it's Jim Barron right back, Dave Langan, John Shuker left back, Morris Carl, Colin Clark at, at centre back, Ray Houghton, Ron Atkinson put himself in, of course, oh. Graham, <laughs> Graham, Graham Atkinson, Kevin Brock. Um, we just talked about John Aldridge and, and Dean Saunders and the manager of Jim Smith. Now, I guess for everyone, a Oxford best 11 is quite subjective because there's things like players you've seen in the flesh versus eras and all that sort of thing. But, you know, you, yeah. can, look, you can look at that team and go, 
even as a you know someone aware of the history of the club can see those are all very good players. But then you look at the discussions about who else could have been in, and it's like Malcolm Shotton, Gary Briggs, Matt Elliott didn't get you know booted out by Big Ron. There's no mention yeah. of Jim Magilton that we talked about earlier. Constable, it's I mean, it must have been an absolute battle and a half um, to get <laughs> some of those. It was, and then we—it's one of those where you're, you're sort of going through the players, and you're like, right, you—you you sort of need to choose your battles with big one here. You know, it was like, right, and and we were working on the basis. Well, if we give you the right back and the left back, for argument's sake, you'll you'll loosen up a bit and give us one of the centre halves we want. You know, sort of thing. Like, oh, not with him, it wasn't. It was, you know, if if you thought, you know, by giving him one, he'd give you one back, you've got no chance. It was big ones all the way, and you know. It was like you know you mentioned Shotton and Briggs and and, and th- this was what made us laugh a bit because a lot of big ones thinking was they didn't do it in the you know these these players you're mentioning like Joey well they didn't do it for Oxford in the top division you know so they shouldn't and you're suddenly like right well what about Shotton and Briggs because yeah. they, they did you know they lifted it and and he was like yeah they were a good partnership good partnership but they weren't they weren't like these two you know and you're just <laughs> Really? It's like, you know, you move, talk about moving the goalposts around. But, I mean, the one thing about it that it did is that people did it and a lot of people disagreed with it. And that's sort of what you want. And you want people to have an opinion on it. And you want, you know, Big Ron 100% will stand by that team and say, this is the best team. And I would 100% say, you've got a lot of it right, but not all of it right. But that's what it's all about, you know, and it did bring that. But we, but we did have to change the name of it to... You know, Oxford United's all-time greatest eleven, so like Ron Atkinson's all-time eleven, just because he wasn't letting us have anything we wanted, really. So uh, <laughs> you just you were just resigned to defeat and just say, right, Ron, who is the who are these people? Just have it and get on with it. I I, I think that um the 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 one that caused no um at World's all was when he said, well, Jim Smith's got to be the manager. We yeah, were like, absolutely, thank God for that. You know, it's like the one we're all one hundred percent with uh, with you on. So. I mean, how, how, how does he talk about, well, how does he feel about Oxford? I mean, he obviously made record appearances for us. It's got to yeah. hold a place in his heart. But, I mean, how how is he sort of, when he talks about the club, how do you think he... It's, he it's of... funny because so you're, you're, you wonder with, obviously, you know, he's gone on just to far more high yeah, exactly. You know, he, you know, man, nearly winning the Premier League with Villa and, you know, lifting trophies and, and this. And, and, you know, quite a lot of football fans now, you know, Probably wouldn't they? If you say, right, who who would you you know name three clubs you associate with Ron Atkinson? Probably Aston Villa and Manchester United are the top two, with possibly Sheffield Wednesday next. You know, it's Oxford rarely feature unless you know he did it. But as soon as he starts talking about it, he can't stop. You know, and you you know he spent a lot of his a lot of his time, and obviously with Graham as well. You know, they spent a lot of their life in and around Oxford, and he still is obviously a huge fan and supporter and he doesn't watch him as much as he did because he's doing media work much higher up but it's clear what what a place they hold in you know with him and and it and it's really nice when as i say it starts telling you the stories that he did and some of the stories were in the sort of magazine of you know i, I wonder how accurate some of them are but suddenly you know he comes out with them and you've got to take what he said you know i think there's one in there and he said the car broke or something and he had to reverse back to the stadium from Kidlington or, you know, and you're like, oh, really? really? Is that, you know? There's a flaw in that. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, but yeah, he's got a story about everything. And, and it, is, it is clear that, you know, Oxford is such a massive, massive thing for him. So, uh, um, yeah, it, it, from that point of view, it's nice. And, it you know, 
like I say, it, it did its job. It got people talking. Yeah, no, well, it, I don't know whether you can get copies of it anymore, but it's... um. It's uh, worth... The problem is that most of the people that made it and sold it aren't there anymore. So I don't know if you... I'm sure they've still got some kicking about, but um, but yeah. Speak to if you want one, speak to Dave. He's probably there's probably a little stash somewhere that he can uh, <laughs> find for you. Yeah, no, as I said it's it's um, a brilliant piece. We um on this pod did the uh, the last um, the, probably the worst all time Oxford eleven, and um, there's much less disagreements about that. Although <laughs> to be fair, a lot of people did disagree about certain players, but in the um, in the opposite way, if if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I mean, kind of talking about, I suppose. You know, we've done kind of different eras with other people, but you've kind of covered Oxford for for twenty five years. Just really keen to tap into some of those those memories of your time being a reporter, um, or or sort of specials interviews you've you've done. I mean, you kind of tease us with the Paolo Di Canio stories, and um, we've not done much of that on these. So let's go, uh, let's go in on him. But so, so that was um, oh, it was just absolutely epic. That whole you know, and it was just a sort of. You know, at the end of the day, Oxford were trying to win at Swindon, weren't they? It was Oxford v Swindon, and then you got you got Decanio sort of putting his thing in it, and it was all the um, the sort of pre-match stuff about uh, you know Bino. Bino's a Swindon fan, you know, it's he he won't score because he he supports Swindon, not this, and and you're just I, I absolutely hate it. He came across like such an idiot, yeah, Paolo, when he was saying all of that. I loved it so much. <laughs> I mean, like, we're, we're getting this from you know you sort of swap stories with your opposite number and you know when you're building up and so you sort of do speak to Swindon and like we never had a very close relationship with them but you sort of see this stuff coming out and you're like really really you know is that you really want to say that um but I'll, I'll never forget so so the story everything in the build-up to that game was was immense every time Decanio was asked about it he said something that would get Oxford's back up and you know do their team talk for them if you like for footballing cliche but uh the two the two big things about that was were after the game, which was where well, was absolute carnage afterwards, as you can imagine, with uh, with everything going on, and and I was covering it, and uh, obviously Bino scored these goals, and um, you were, uh, went down to the pitch to and you know and there was loads of stewards around, and you're trying to get your interviews, and did an interview with Wilder, who was obviously you know delighted and said some great stuff, and then I sort of see De Canio over sort of doing his interview and I'm thinking I've got to get over there got to get over there so I went over there and he's you know jabbering on about everything he was about the game and this and that and uh, it's, there was a sort of you know a bit of a lull in the nobody was asking a question so I I just said um so Paolo can you you know you, you did a lot of talking before the game you said that James Constable was do you think that you know by saying that you've actually helped Oxford and no nobody listens to the talk you know we've said things before the game but that doesn't matter said, well, I think it does matter because, you know, this Oxford team were fired up far more than your team were. And a lot of that, they would say, were from your comments. No, 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 people are reading too much into it. I said, but but you said he was a Swindon fan. Yes, yes, he is a Swindon fan. And I said, no, he's a Tottenham fan. And he, and, and he just looked at me and gave me this glare. And he was like, sorry. He said, he's a Tottenham fan. I said, you know, he lived, I think, I think Bina was living in Wooten Bassett or somewhere at the time. So he was living not far from Swindon, but... No, I said he might live not far away, but he doesn't support Swindon. And and Decanio just like looked at me and was giving me daggers. And I was thinking, God, what's he going to do here? You know, it's like he didn't say anything. Hit you by the sound of it. I know. Well, I thought he might at one point. It was like, and and, and he just he just ch- um, chirped up with, well, I was given the wrong information. Next question from somebody else. 
And I, <laughs> I was like, well, I don't need to say anymore then, do I? You know, you can, you know, you, you've just done that. But then the other, the other, the other sort of two stories are based around that was it was then classic because we obviously wanted to speak to Bino um, afterwards. I know Nathan had sort of, you know, broken through the security on the side of the pitch to go and grab him on the on the pitch and uh, such like. He can do that because Jerome and Nick are still talking at the top, you know, but I'm there trying to get a match report on the website and everything else. And uh, so we went down and we're sort of saying, look, we've got to speak to, we've got to speak to Bino. And Chris Williams was like, yeah, you know, I understand. I'll, I'll try and get him. Then word comes out and he said, no Oxford players are allowed to do interviews because it's too dangerous because there's, you know, the security, they, they need, you know, there's still Swindon fans around. We've been told we've just got to go on the bus. And I was like, I have to speak to Bino. I can't not speak to Bino after that. And um, so, and I can't remember it was, if it was with help from Chris or not. Um, I, I, I managed to sneak down the tunnel saying I was from Oxford and um, got through by the Oxford changing room, get ushered out with him and end up pi- getting piled onto the Oxford team coach <laughs> sat outside. Um, pelted with stuff as every Oxford player came out was by all the Swindon fans that were around there, having to speak to Bino, call Bino sort of from the coach and was speaking to him from the steps of the coach, trying to get his interview. And then they're saying, we've got to go, we've got to go. And the coach starts driving off with me on it, (laughs) (laughs) trying to to get Bino, because knowing everyone wants to hear what Bino's got to say about it. And I had to get dropped off around the corner to walk back. And as you're walking back, by then, a lot of people are sort of, dispersing and whatever else and you're going through and you're like oh this is brilliant I've done well I just remember probably I don't know, 40 minutes after just De Canio was just like he was just walking up and down in the tunnel pacing like nobody like swearing to himself probably in Italian doing it. <laughs> and, and you were just thinking this bloke you know what you know and then there's the infamous pictures of him like isn't there at Oxford with his beanie hat on sort of you know yeah. looking down at the the ground and, and actually again you know talking saying about you know him him saying too much um it was before that home game that um chris wilder um said to me and and one thing you know i'll talk a bit about chris wilder in a bit because he one one thing he was very good at was, was in the big games he didn't say much he always tried to let the opposition do the talking it was touched upon in the york game at wembley you know let them say stuff to hang themselves on and we won't say anything stupid we won't give a give ourselves a chance to say something that will inspire the others. And, um, and De Canio sort of obviously, you know, well, we're going to, we're going to out for revenge, blah, 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 you know, in, in the next game. And, and um, Chris Wilder actually asked me to produce a um, sort of a mock front page um, with all the things that De Canio had said about Oxford. Oh, really? <laughs> So, which, was he on a was he on a roller coaster going you know, heading downwards? I don't think it was worth my life at that time. It was, uh, <laughs> but it was great fun to go back and find all the all the quotes that you know that he said about Oxford and uh, and everything, put them all on this thing, and and he he hung them up sort of around the dressing room and stuff. So you sort of like feel like you've you've done something to uh, to do, and it's it's little things like that that you just like you look back on and just think, wow, that was you know that was what a time to be an Oxford fan with, with, with the clown down the road, sort of, you know, putting his foot in it every time he spoke. So, uh, but yeah, they, they were, they were some great, you know, I mean, I, I don't think I could cope with Decani if I, if he was the manager and you were having to put up with that every time you spoke to him, because he was just, yeah, yeah, he was dangerous, wasn't he? You never didn't know what he was going to say next. Well, he's not the most stable of individuals. No, no definitely not. I wouldn't say. I've, I've heard various podcasts with um players who played with him at, 
for sorry played for him at Sunderland and Swindon and the like, and they just said it's too absolutely militarized, and eventually it just blows up. <laughs> and uh, yeah. you hear that, you think, yeah, that that makes perfect sense from a absolute outsider. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, didn't Harry Harry Redknapp used to just tell well, he tells great stories about De Canio, but he, he ended up just having one rule for him because he was so eccentric and ridiculous, yeah. and then a rule for everyone else in terms of like fines and yeah. whatever else. Didn't he like storm off the pitch for West Ham at one yes, point? Yeah, I I've heard that one, and, and, and Harry, kept getting fouled. Yeah, I think Harry, you know, often used to say, "Look, just just let him do what he wants to do. It's just easier than trying to manage him. You know, just just let him get on with yeah. it." <laughs> Yeah, and you mentioned Wilder, and I, I mean, I think I get the sense there's a trove of Wilder stories that will ever keep creeping out over the years. But um, you were going to touch on Wilder. Yeah, I mean, more so because um, I mean, there's you know, I've been well because I was at the Kai Robinson one. So in fact, I, I was going to work it out and haven't. But Malcolm Shotton was the manager at the time when I started. But obviously, since then. I've been at um, every press conference of a new manager, bar one, I think, which was Gary Waddock, which was uh, it was on a Saturday afternoon or some. It was a bizarre chain of events. But but Wilder was the sort of one that I, when I covered them for, I said about the sort of eight months when I was doing both jobs. He he was the manager then, and um, and it was really really intriguing because we had a good relationship with both the paper, and I I got on very well with him. And I mean, don't get me wrong, he. He knew when, you know, he could be, he could be nasty in terms of, you know, if, if he, if he thought you'd done something, he wouldn't be shy to hold back his views. And I think, you know, you see what he's like now. He's done amazingly well, but he's got an edge to him that you, you wouldn't want to mess with. Um, Wasn't Dave saying that he's more dangerous when you're at, the clubs actually was doing well or when the team was on a good run because he would refer back to a yeah. match rating from yeah. 10 games ago. Yeah, I mean, he when when I, I think it I don't think it's necessarily the case with him. I think it's the case with a lot of managers. When when you lose, you they speak a lot they they're a lot clearer and and they're, you know, when I say everyone, I'm obviously not referring to Pep here, but everyone else. <laughs> Um, managers are, are when you've lost a game that you know they they just try to be more more open and and you know they know that if they've lost a game some people are going to blame them for that defeat so they try to be clear and, and Wilders actually spoke very well after defeats it was it was after victories when when you almost feel like you know I'm on top of the world here nobody can touch me we've done this I can say what I want that he was quite dangerous and could come out with stuff and you're like well hold on a minute here you know where's this come from but I mean I was quite lucky that um that actually it's at the start of the uh the, the 2010 promotion season there was the first time because Oxford's pre-season always used to be sort of you know a couple of matches in Devon um yeah. you know, an, army, an army camp you know and, and they went nowhere and, and that year they actually went to Scotland for and they played um they played Green at Morton I think on a Saturday and then they had a behind closed doors game at Rangers training ground on the Tuesday and we'd never gone really gone along as a paper before. And I don't really know why. We'd, we'd gone to a few games, obviously. But when they'd actually gone on a tour with the people together, players together, never really, never really gone. And that was one of the first times that I can remember they were like, you know, why don't you come with us, spend some time with us? And, um, you know, you, you feel like how very privileged that you're, you're sort of there. And, and I mean, I didn't go for the whole, the whole time because they, they went up for a couple of days training first but then you sort of meet up with them and, and you go to training and you watch what they're doing and 
there's an understanding that you're not going to report everything that you see. That That's by the by, and yeah. that's sort of how it works. You watch them do this, do that. And if, you know, you have to be selective and they trust you. But I always remember with, with Wilder, there was this, um, and he's obviously putting his stamp on the, they finished the season very strongly. Um, and then he's building the team that would implement, and he's bringing in these players. And as I say, he's putting his own stamp on how he wants things to do. And I remember we were, they were training on this um, university pitch up in, in Edinburgh somewhere, I think. And uh, um, they were doing this, this exercise that was relatively straightforward, or so I thought it would be, of, you know, you, you had a couple of wingers, a couple of right wingers, a couple of left wingers. You had a central midfielder and you had, in the box you had three strikers and three defenders. And it was a very simple drill of the central midfielders would play a little one-two with somebody, spray the ball out to either left or right wing. That winger would take a touch, put in a cross, and the striker had to try and get in front of the defender to score. And it was just interesting to see how the different dynamics worked and, and everything else. And uh, this this one player who I, I will I will be you know, diplomatic and save him from uh, <laughs> save him from totally embarrassed. What does his name rhyme with? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Doesn't matter. Uh, all, I'll, all I'll say is that he um, he he was only at the club for about six months, um, which at the time I thought was about five and a half months longer than it could have been. But uh, he um, he kept his crossing was all over the place, and he kept doing, it. and and he did this one, and it went to Wilder. Wilder was sort of stood, I don't know, twenty yards out. You know, he was outside the box, not getting, and this cross that was meant to be sort of you know penalty spot for somebody to attack was scuffed and ended up straight at Wilder. And and he went and he just let out this almighty shriek, picked the ball up and walloped it like three pitches away. And he went, go and get that ball. And while you're getting it, think about what you're doing and what you're not going to do when you come back. And I was like, whoa, you know, this is, is this what happens in training? This is, you know, I thought this this could be sort of how you train you know train an under sevens team you know yeah, yeah. think about <laughs> what you've done <laughs> and, and anyway he, he player gets the ball back his next cross was unbelievable and whoever you know sort of scores and and then Wilder was like right let's take a break and they all came over to get their drinks and he came over and he was laugh Wilder was laughing joking you know teasing them all messing about including this one player and it was just so so interesting to watch how the dynamic worked of right we're now on a break so we can have a laugh and a joke we can let off steam etc etc five minutes later he blew the whistle for them to get back out there total focus on what they were doing and and you sort of look and i I was like i i I totally get where he's coming from here you know the players were left in no doubt of the standards he expect and what he expected um of people and it was just really you know really interesting to see that close up as to how they uh how it all worked um but you know he was i think it's well documented isn't it about his, his time at oxford and maybe maybe you know if he'd have left the season or two early it would have been different but actually staying that extra bit probably he would probably argue now has helped him further his career hasn't it because he you know it, it, it probably taught him a lot and he taught him about how football works and how he works and how, you know, such like, but, um, but yeah, it was, you know, we, it, as I say, we, we've, we've been at the, the, the paper and, you know, both, both um, the mail and BBC have, have been on a lot of tours since that they, 
you know, I, th- I think I think it was it may have been America the year after or such like. And since then, pre-season tours been a real big, real big thing for the club, isn't it? And, and you know, everyone's included now, fan from you know fans, media, everyone. So, uh, but yeah, that, that sort of thing, you know, does does resonate with just you know how how lucky you are to to see these things up close and and how people work because. You know, you, you don't do you? you. You don't see that side of things. You just accept they they've got to do what they've got to do on the training pitch, and nobody knows what happens ninety percent of the time. There, do they? It's uh, yeah. We've yeah. um we've got a few sort of um sort of random stories that we never we're interested to get your take on, or if you remember them at all, or any any gossip you can. Um, uh, this is good. I could be Arsene Wenger here then, can't I? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, um, I mean, some of them were just people, <laughs> things people have asked us about, and um, I don't recall some of these, but it was apparently um, an abandoned game at Mansfield due to high winds, and it was David Oldfield's first game following Atkins getting suspended. I don't know if you remember that. Was yeah. What the story was around kind of Atkins getting suspended. I know it was to do with Bristol Rovers, but it was always a bit cluing if that game, that must have been quite a weird write-up to do that that game, I imagine. Yeah, God, blimey. Um, I, I think I might be wrong. I might well be wrong. But I, I think with the sort of Atkins thing is that there was, again, you know, that would probably have only happened under certain chairman, wouldn't it, of, of the way it was yeah. <laughs> came about, which I, I would probably hazard a guess that he, he suspected um, Atkins was looking to go to Bristol Rovers and may have, you know, had some had some talks with them behind his back, sort of, you know, potentially setting things up. I, 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 it, it, so long ago that, and, and to be fair, the amount of managers since then that have gone under the bridge, but certainly it wouldn't take long to do it. But, you know, those, those sort of things that you, you look back and think, well, that could only have happened at Oxford, couldn't it? You know, a manager who's, you know, how many times have they done it when a manager, because it, again, it happened under Wilder, didn't it? You've got a team that are going well and, at the minimum, both of those seasons, both with Atkins and with Wilder, I, I'm convinced they would have made at least the playoffs in both seasons that things happened that made them leave and go elsewhere. And you do have to question then the, what's going on behind the scenes, don't you? But, but I think Atkins did, he was on the official pod, wasn't he? And he talked about it. And I think he was just saying that he didn't particularly enjoy working with Kassam. He didn't have a contract in front of him and he was looking after yeah. so, himself and his family, ultimately. Yeah. So I, I always remember a, a Malcolm Shotton quote about um, Kassam and, and it may be slightly unfair because obviously Kassam had only just taken over them, but uh, Malcolm Shotton said he was asked about um, when you're talking, you know, do you have a meeting with the chairman about new players or whatever else? And he said, um, the only meeting I, I ever have had with the chairman is a meeting to arrange the next meeting. We <laughs> you get nothing out of him at these meetings, just another meeting. And it sort of resonates, you know, at the early days, that was what it was like and maybe should have, <laughs> you know, to a degree opened open your mind to what could follow. But um, I, I, I think as a businessman, no, very few people could argue with uh, Mr. Kassam. As a football chairman, where do you start? But... Um, I mean, but yes, yeah, difficult times and, and interesting times as well. We never knew what was coming next. Have there been any? I suppose it's been more of a general question. But any times where you've kind of uncovered or, or found something out about the club or certain players or managers that you've kind of found it quite hard to decide what angle to take? Um, sort of had a controversial element to them or something like that. 
Yeah, there there were a few there were a few that done that. In fact, the, the slightly off top of, of the same thing in terms of like finding out things. One one of my I mean, it might may not seem like a massive thing to people at the time, but I would I'd only been at the paper for a little while, and um, in fact, he he did the official pod. Mike Ford did the um, did one on the official website. Yeah. He did talk about this, but they started the season appallingly under Dennis and. Um, Fordy talked about the, the game where Dennis said to him, I want you to play in the next match. I don't know if you heard it, but um, mm. Fordy hadn't played for God knows how long and such like. And um, again, it was all very different in those days of, you know, there wasn't really a press officer at United, if you like. you, you When we wanted to get stories then, or, you know, we would have a story each day. If we didn't have anything, we'd just drive up to the manor and just walk through and we would speak to play. You know, you could speak to whoever about whatever and... And um, and I just happened to drive at that that there was was speaking to somebody and and was told that Fordy was going to be playing on the Saturday, and I was mm. like I was like really, and they're like, <laughs> and I said oh maybe I've got that wrong, and then you sort of start putting two and two together and think oh god I'm I'm way off here sort of thing, and I remember phoning Dennis and asking him and and he was like what are you talking about that's complete rubbish and I was like okay that's fine and I thought well funnily enough. A manager maybe wouldn't say that if there was an element of truth, you know. I think he yeah. played it down too much. And I remember putting this, and I came back and said to the sports, I think I've got a really good story here. You know, Ford is going to, you know, United Legends going to come out and be forced out of retirement to play in this. And they're like, Are you sure? And I was like, No, but I, I think I'll take a punt on it and did and got a load of flack for it. And then, of course, he's named in the team. And you're like, thank God for that. I've never, never waited for a team sheet. So, uh, <laughs> so desperately in my life to see Mike <laughs> number three on it. But, um, but you, you do find out things with that. And, and again, that, you know, as, as, as simple a thing as that might come across as. I mean, that's potentially something that at the time, the club were bottom of the league or next to bottom with hardly a point on the, you know, only a couple of points on the board. And I know... Probably Dennis didn't want that to come out because it's almost a sign of desperation, isn't it, when you're doing so badly to do that? And so you take a bit of a risk there by running a story like that. And, and obviously, if you've got it wrong, you look like a total muppet, and people would never sort of forgive you for it or you know let you forget it. But so you do have to, you know, and, and it's a lot more different. It really is more difficult now to get to get things out there and break them as exclusives because everyone's got a say on everything and everyone's got a theory on everything and people put it out there instantly. You know, it's very, you, you do very well to get a story out there about a player or something that the club are linked to that nobody has mentioned somewhere along the line because it all comes back to, oh, the Oxford Mail have been, the other, the other thing that bugbear you get, oh, the Oxford Mail have been reading the forum again, so they've plucked this name story. <laughs> and you're like, well, you know, there would be more to it than that. So, um, um, so yeah, I was trying, in terms of controversial ones, is uh, it's quite difficult. I mean, to say if they're too controversial, they normally end up going on the news pages because <laughs> we don't want anything to do yeah. with it. You know, it's uh, <laughs> so. I mean, you know, what the 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 all the the Sam sort of days of you know, demanding this, that, and everything else. You know, there's a, there's a balance there because the club was the position was so precarious. At the back of your mind, there there is a bit of like, you know, if, if this all goes belly up, we don't want to get the blame for you know, questioning this, questioning that, 
sort of thing. So there's, you know, you, you do have to carefully consider everything before you run a lot of the stories that you do. But I mean, final final thing, I, I think we'll have to do some some quick fire stuff. But I mean, so do you have sort of during particularly during the bad days and the old days, did you have sources at the club, or is it very much you know you could just kind of rock up and sort of sniff something out, or it just sounds amazing just being able to just to sort of walk into the club and sit down and you know you've got your story within thirty minutes or something. Yeah, you, yeah, you you did because you used to you know find somewhere to park sort of a line walk or you know somewhere in Headington and you stroll up and you speak to and and the, the way that things were at the manor was you know was a great everyone loved it and everyone was friendly and you know that there, there were certain there were people who you know not not all up there you know by all means but you used to get people that were fairly reliable with things they'd heard or you know and it could be could be through you know you always have to you have to trust somebody. If somebody tells you something, oh, you know, you might want to, you know, and there's a way of doing it as well. Is if this person suddenly tells you everything, you're like, mm, you're telling me a bit too much here. There's something dodgy going on. Whereas there's a way of, you know, you may want to, you know, look into whether this player would be open to a move to Oxford, you know, and it's just all uh, dynamics. But but you used to just walk around and, you know, especially players who were just like, you know. A lot, well, a lot of the players parked all over the place because there was only about 20 parking spaces at the manor, wasn't there? So <laughs> you got up there, you knew when they were going to finish training and, and you often spoke to them. And not all that you weren't always after like, you know, the massive story. It's just nice to speak to people and, and get a different perspective yeah, on it, which... You don't seem to get that as much in sort of the sit down with a player type of thing, but I guess it's just, it's a sign of the sign of the times really. And um, no, I think yeah. we could... Um, we could sort of go on with all these stories all all night, really. James, do you want to do the uh, quickfire interrogation? Just before that, um, I noticed a picture of you with Jim Rosenthal. I was curious. Do you know Jim? Was it yeah. just that you were at an awards thing together? Yeah, well, it was an awards thing, but um, Jim Jim actually started... Uh, Jim worked for the Oxford Mail as a um, yeah. journalist way back, and um, I, um, I knew of him and sort of got to know him... Um, sort of a way back and then obviously when he got more involved with the club and the Kelvin and we're very close um we became good friends meet up fairly often um he, he's still he's still as much you know I mean there was a few few issues between him and the club and various things but he is still an Oxford fan um at heart and uh yeah I met him at an awards do that he was he was presenting and I was at and uh you know we had a we had a good catch up and you know, sort of bemoaning the state of regional journalism, which is where he stuck. You know, so many of these people yeah. applied their trade, applied their trade to start with. Um, but yeah, they're good friends. Um, good friends with Jim, and um, you know, he's he's a he's a top man, really. He's uh, you know, he's he's you know, he's he's yeah, everything he does, he's very good at. You know, you fans have different views of him, and you know, blah blah blah. But but he's uh, you know, he he's an Oxford fan, and he always wants Oxford to do well. Yeah. Uh, the the other thing I noticed was I found your tweet when you actually were um, departing the Oxford Mail. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you remember, you had pictures of some of the main covers and that type of thing. And a load of people responded, obviously, thanking you for the for the coverage over the years. Um, but I noticed like Jem and some of the guys from Oxvox um, and the OUFC community side of things were really thanking you for your support there. But is is there anything you can touch on towards any contribution towards 
Well, those are. I, yeah. I just think that that in the position you're at, that the, the paper's got to be a voice for everybody. And you know, I mean, you know, I go back to when I started, and Fowl were there. You know, and and, and yeah. always one thing that you always think that you should, you know, you should be able to be a platform for people to to get their points across and speak. And and it the, the club should have a fans group representing them, and and uh, you know, and, and and trying to help supporters and. You know, people have the best possible if they can help them with the match decks. You know, a bit like they did with the you know the mural on the four stand and and things like that. Yeah. You know, we spoke spoke a lot to you know certainly when Jem was um Jem was M four more recently, but you know spoke to Jem regularly about different things. And you know, I I just think that the the, the paper and something that I was always keen to do was you know some to start with. Oxford, you know, had couple of hundred members and were really struggling to go anywhere I think they you know it was a real battle and they 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 took on some things that were probably too big for them to you know they they wanted to be they wanted to be something they weren't for a while and then they probably remodeled it slightly and wanted to represent more people have have the interests of the wider community um at the yeah. rather than maybe at the time there were certain individuals that it was more about them than it was the group. And that was something I, you know, they they, they always got to say, but I, I was always very, you know, clear that I wanted them to, if they wanted to make a point about something, come to us, you know, don't try and hide behind, you know, it, it was a win-win for them. They got more publicity by going through us and whatever. And it also gave them their say on a, on a bigger platform than it maybe would on a, you know, just yeah. press release or print, put it posting something somewhere that only X amount of people would see. So, you know, I've just always tried. One thing I always tried to do when I was there was, was help the club as much as I can whilst making sure I understood and respected the job I was doing, which wasn't always to just creep to them. Yeah. Like, you know, you have yeah, to yeah, yeah, exactly. To it. So, uh, yeah, I always, always tried to be open and, and let, let people cool. say. Excellent. Okay. Quick fire round. Are you ready? Go on then. Right. What was your lowest point covering Oxford United in terms of like worst game covered or most depressing write up you ever had to do after a game? Rushton away. The 5 0. This final game without a shadow of doubt. <laughs> that was, in fact, in fact, if you want the lowest point, was Phil Trainer's free kick. <laughs> yeah, that's resurfaced, yeah. didn't it? Because it was on bloody Satanta. I actually forgot how horrific it was. I remember at the time thinking that's appalling, and I saw it again and thought it's worse than that. But um, yeah, it really cheered me up that um, footage of that moment. To be honest, did it? Well, there was but, yeah. lots of cheer up that night. Well, it, <laughs> no, I mean, like now looking back, yeah, to have a yeah, yeah a bit of perspective. Oh, very, 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 very hard. Yeah. yeah, that that was the worst. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What about the opposite of that? What What's top of the pile in terms of um, coverage for from your side? Maybe on a on a game or maybe a particular moment. Um, well, it's going to be very boring, isn't it? I mean, I would I would say the Swindon away game for various for the reasons I spoke about earlier. The whole the whole charade with the Beano thing, yeah. getting the win, everything with De Canio, interviewing on the coach the, as, a, as a whole package. I don't think you could have. No, it being that's fine. The, the, the obvious one would be the York game for importance um, and such like. But it, but if if I had to pick one, it, it, just that game for the whole thing for me personally was just you know there, 
where do you start if you were having to write you know you could write a book on that one game of everything it was uh just so many things happened and uh yeah, yeah. so i'll go for that one That's poetic yes uh, <laughs> least favored away grounds i don't know if you know what some of the other guys yeah. have said well yeah <laughs> northampton's always there but it's uh well, in fact, in fact I, I take umbrage with Dave Pritchard saying that Northampton's his worst away ground because um, he always used to put me down to make sure that I would... So I, I didn't always go to every away game, but he would always put me down as, uh, as going to the away game to ensure that he had two seats rather than one and then urge me not to turn up so that he would have more area because there was no, uh, no knee room anywhere. So, yeah, um, Northampton is not great and some of the ones... Um, I, I never really liked Dagenham for some reason. I don't know why. I think it was always because I got put by a pillar and you would spend the whole game going either left or right to to see the goals. And the one going yeah. back, the most interesting one I ever ever was, was at Boston where the press box was behind a goal. And typically the game that um, when I was there, uh, both goals came at the other end. And before, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, how how these fans, you know, the, the fans sort of in the in the East Stand, you know, you know, to, to know what, you know, you, you I know you ask people, but as a, as a journalist, when you're trying to write a report and be accurate in what what happened, how on earth you're meant to report, you know, when there's a scramble from a corner and you're struggling to see, you know, where the ball is, let alone where it's ended up and who's done it. So uh, yeah, yeah, there's various ones for various different reasons. <laughs> what about if you had to pick your favourite ground to go to? Um, 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 it's quite hard this to be fair I don't even know what I would say uh, I mean there's there's nothing better I've been very fortunate there's nothing better than covering Oxford United at Wembley which is very a co- right cop out of an answer but <laughs> of course it would be but um, I, I think there, there, are, there are just clubs that treat you well and, and others that don't care and you but in terms of an overall thing you know, I've been to Wembley, you know, a few times with Oxford and you still, you know, when you're there, you have to pinch yourself that that's your team out yeah, there. Yeah, it's happening. But yeah, I will be very dull and say Wembley. Okay, top three managers. Um, that I have dealt with or... Whatever you want. <laughs> okay. No, just okay. as a fan and as a journalist. Okay. All right, so... Um, Jim Smith, because he was a mate, you know, knowing all about him. I didn't see the United under him before, but I knew about him as a man and as a manager and having him um, there and, you know, doing weekly press conferences with him and such like was, you know, just just amazing. So I, I, w- I would have Jim there just because he knew everything and a bit like Big Ron, you just wanted to be in his company all the time because he was he was just um, he was just brilliant. I, I will put Wilder in there because I, I did get on very well with him through a larger thing and obviously worked worked closely with him. Um, and so the third one, I mean, you, I, I would say for slightly different reason, or some have touched on it, I will say Appleton purely because from a journalist's point of view, he was a dream because he answered every question you asked him and that is a very rare trait in a manager because <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's the same as a politician isn't it you can ask them what you want and they'll say but he was one of the people that if you asked him a question he might not want to answer it but he was 
appreciative that your job was to ask questions and some of them are difficult and it's his job to answer them and he would do he didn't back away from it he may not go into great detail but he would he would answer the question so i will i will say smith wilder appleton that's a strong trio what about you kind of already mentioned joey if you had to pick another two players that have stuck with you you know since your early days as a fan right through to the current day yeah okay huh. um well narrow it down <laughs> well, i touched on a couple of, so okay so i i'd have to have joey just because just because it's joey um of course of course i would have david rush because i nice. love his style of play when he was there just like busy everywhere you know you you knew what you knew he was going to be a pest all game for. Wasn't he a bit mental? Yes. David yeah. Ross. I mean, I, I didn't, I spoke to him a couple, but now I spoke to him more in latter years because he came back quite a bit. And so you sort of had, had bits there. Yeah. So, uh, um, so, so Joe David Rush and, and, and I probably have to say Matt Elliott just because he was immense and, you know, it, I know everyone goes on about it, but just you know, and him and Joey were that they're you know you you were devastated when they hadn't come up with a goal from a corner when they were playing together, sort of thing. It would uh, I'm aware that's all they're all for all all people from further back, but I think it's easier to make you know those were you you appreciate it more if you're not necessarily writing on 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 different people. Um, so I will, yeah. I will stick to that era and then I'm not going to get lots of messages from people who I've dealt with more recently <laughs> having a go. It was good. It was, it was good hearing the Dennis Smith, um, podcast when he was referring to, they, they had a nickname for Matt Elliott. I don't remember what it was. Uh, it was yeah. intro- I found it. Yeah, I can't, yes. Um, oh, I'm actually reading got- Dennis Smith's book at the moment. Um, I'm just about to get to the Oxford phase, but there's a brilliant story he tells when he's, of his time at York, when, one of his players was performing really badly and he thought he had an eyesight problem. So he arranged for the whole squad to get eye tested just so that this one player wouldn't think he was being singled out. (laughs) And that player came back and Dennis Smith was like, so how did it go? And he was like, yep, perfect vision for it, but we've got a big problem. The goalkeeper, he's blind in one eye. And Dennis Smith was like, went to see the goalkeeper and was like, how come you didn't mention you're blind in one eye? And he was like, the goalkeeper was like, didn't think it was worth mentioning because it's not not affecting my performances. <laughs> Christ, well, there you go. Right. Um, I think that's everything. So we've we've got Pompey to look forward to now. Are, are you going to be watching that, Mark? Yes, I will be watching that um, with, uh, with with great interest. It will be, you know, just, just for how it's going to, you know, you've got a first glimpse of football, haven't you, with... Uh, behind closed doors and such like, but it's, um, you know, haven't, haven't seen Oxford play there. It will be a very, um, I mean, we've seen them play in front of about 20 people in the conference days when Satanta <laughs> used to stick them on a Thursday night, you know, away, miles away. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it, the excitement grows, doesn't it? And, you know, you, you know, it's only, a, you know, hopefully a three-match shootout and uh, um, see what we can get. But certainly it'll be good to have, uh, have them back. And as I said, you know, to, to start this off, it's yeah. you know it'd be great if they could finish finish off a tremendous season on a high. For sure, as you said, it's great we've got an opportunity to have a hit have a hit at it. Yeah, which um, yeah, but for Josh Josh Ruffles wouldn't have been a thing. 
Which is what um, may well win the player of the year. <laughs> yeah. Thanks very much, Mark, for coming no on. Yeah. It's been brilliant. Thank you, Mark. And um, yeah, our next pod will probably, I, I don't know. John, we've kind of already previewed that game, but maybe we'll have a think about it. Things will change. Hopefully there's not more kind of spicy test results coming back that are going to throw everything up in the air again, but we'll have to see. But if not, maybe our next pod will be on the back of that first game, which is frightening to think because then I've got to start getting nervous. Yeah. What is it, two weeks away? Yeah, where are the nerves? Like I'm I'm not confident, but I'm not nervous either. I don't- I don't, yeah, I don't, because it doesn't feel like the same season or real football. It feels like it's going to be like a pre-season encounter, doesn't it? Mm. In a weird way. So I don't really feel too bothered, but I obviously am. (laughs) I'll cut that bit out. Anyway, right. Cheers, everyone. And we'll catch you again soon.